If you could, open up with me and your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. What you'll find here is uh, the beginning to a new sermon series on uh, Paul's letter to Ephesus. Uh, We uh, will be uh, planting ourselves there for some time in the new year with an emphasis on exactly what the letter is emphasizing, which is encouragement. I was talking about this with the uh, elders just uh, right before the service, uh, before we began to pray uh, uh, for our service and for other needs. And uh, you know what? Uh, there is a flow to the sermon series, and as the Spirit would lead God and direct uh, our fellowship as, as we've marched through these different parts and pieces of the Bible, and uh, I, I wrote this in a postscript, and I've said it a couple times, but I'll say it again, that uh, it seemed uh, too natural, uh, a leading of the Spirit himself, perhaps, to uh, find ourselves here in Ephesians, but Uh, As we're in the in-between a little bit, we're still in 2021, not quite to 2022. Uh, What might it mean then for us to have a prelude? And as I thought about that, of course, uh, the uh, writing in Acts that is attributed to uh, the gospel writer Luke. We're familiar with Luke. I hope y'all are. We spent 70 weeks with him or so. And uh, we find here uh, uh, Luke recording these different uh, movements of the Holy Spirit in the early church, one of them being a movement of the Holy Spirit in Ephesus. Uh, And so we see here uh, uh, some things that are happening in Ephesus before a letter would come to them. And I think uh, it's a very helpful moment for us as we begin to transition our minds into uh, this letter in the New Testament uh, coming from, uh, as it were, a long time in the minor prophets uh, after the exile, uh, but before the coming of Jesus. Of course, we see the coming of Jesus now. If you wanted to go with the flow, uh, we are here uh, with the dawning of a new age, with with the advent of Christ. Now we see uh, that we wait no more, but the Spirit is upon us. And uh, as I tried to think about a way for me to introduce this, uh, sometimes I uh, I speak to y'all about, uh, it seems like a joke, but it's reality. The pastor, the church planter, and the missionary that get together every now and then, uh, well, that's me and two of my very close friends uh, in the denomination. One's a church planter, one's a missionary, and we talk almost weekly. We really talk daily via group text message and things, but we get together via video chat or if we're in town, we get together in town. And uh, we were having a conversation about church planting. Uh, I, of course, have my hand uh, uh, in uh, uh, the movement of our denomination and church planting. I think it's a very important avenue for us to see the Lord glorified in the 21st century. And uh, one thing that happens, though, is that a certain individuals get pigeonholed as a church planner. You know, you'd be a good church planner. You've got all it takes. And you say, well, what is that? I say, well, you're charismatic, entrepreneurial. You've got great business skills. And you're really good with technology. And so I think you'll make a good church planner. And uh, it was a little bit of a joke because I said that to my church planning friend uh, who uh, quite vehemently uh, uh, lamented that fact because that's a reality. You'll see that. Uh, you'll see that for, pa- for pastors of churches as well. And he said, you know, I wish for once in my life I could see somebody somewhere say that what they wanted from a pastor and a church planner was faithfulness and humility and a desire to see the Lord glorified. (laughs) And, you know, of course, it's a church planner getting zealous for, you know, the Bible and things. So it was, in a sense, a little bit funny, and we were jabbing him a little bit. But uh, it's a perfect, it's a perfect 
illustration for what we see here in Acts chapter 19. Because the main point, uh, it's scandalous, it's at first confusing, but it won't be after we read it and, and after we, after we uh, uh, unfold this text a little bit. Uh, but, but stick with me, because the main point is this. Christians are to be encouraged by existing. No more, no less. By existing, Christians can take encouragement. Let's see what the word has for us, but first let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have revealed yourself and your mightiness, your power, your working, your providence, your salvation, that you've revealed your people. And Lord, that you have revealed your world and how all these things play out as we see a, a most riotous prelude to our letter to the Ephesians. God, would you bless us? Holy Spirit, would you work in us? Would you change us from the inside out? And will we leave this place closer to you and farther away from the sinful and corrupted practices of our lives? Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen. This is Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 21. It's a bit of a narrative. We'll go through verse 41. It's not as long as it sounds. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? 
seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are preconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God it stands forever, and we can thank God for it. Remember our main point, that Christians are to be encouraged uh, uh, by their very existence, by, by simply existing. Uh, God has granted the Christian much encouragement. And we'll get there with three points. Number one, by existing, Christians cause disturbance. Verses 21 through 27. Number two, by existing, Christians defend Christianity, 28 through 34. And then number three, by existing, Christians defeat the world. Disturbance, defense, and the defeat of the world. Now, diving into our first point then, by existing, Christians cause disturbance. Verses 21 through 27, it's important to make note of something. Uh, there are no Christians who speak or do any action in uh, this a part of God's word. Paul does nothing. Paul's companions do nothing in Ephesus. Uh, no Christian or follower of God does anything. Even the Jews who might have been on the way, perhaps uh, uh, young in their maturity, but, uh, but, but ready, right? Alexander ready to give a defense is drowned out by the noise. No Christian does anything. By existing though, by the reality of the presence of, Christians indeed cause disturbance. Verse 23, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And if you wanted to see uh, the verse why, uh, well you see it in verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business, right? Uh, no little disturbance because there was no little business going on. In other words, there was a big disturbance because there was big money business that was getting disturbed, right? Uh, what was happening is that in Ephesus at the time, uh, this was really the main hub of, uh, of the Roman province of Asia, which is like modern day Turkey, if you really wanted to kind of place yourself on the map. And, and, and within this place was this, this shrine of Diana, or in the Greek, Artemis and and really it wasn't a stone from the sky if you read that part and thought is he going to preach on you know on aliens or something or on meteorites no uh, it's just this this very nice really counted as one of the ancient wonders of the world this massive temple within this kind of this intense idol structure of this goddess of, of Artemis of Diana and and what we see is that uh, this was not a uh, just worship uh, this was big 
business because the silversmith alongside of others were selling all of these little, I'm so glad you came. Why don't you buy something to take home? Why don't you buy something to offer as you go in? Why don't you get this and go? Why don't you have this? Oh, while you're at it, go down to the shop. This shop is one of the most faithful to Diana. You can get a good soup there, right? All of it was surrounding this, this false God and, and you even begin to see the absurdity that's going on because it says, listen, this Paul is beginning to persuade people that what we make with our hands, uh, they're not really gods. Uh, you hear the absurdity even as he's trying to defend his position, but what he's, not, what he's trying to defend is not uh, the deity of Artemis. It's clear because he just said he can make Artemis with his hands. No, he doesn't give a lick about the deity of Artemis. He, what he really cares about is the money that he's making. Not just his livelihood, but his riches, his vast riches that he has gained from the people that they have led astray. But, but that's over here. That, that's these people that, that are not believing. But, but where are the Christians and what's going on? Well, they're just going about their worship and their sharing of the good news of Jesus. And that, that good news sharing has taken hold and grip to the point where lives have been changed. And where lives have been changed, emphases have been changed. And where emphases have been changed, business changes. You know what the number one thing searched for on the internet is? I'm not going to say it out loud. You already know it. Until the world changes, that'll never change. And that's why the internet rolls the way it does. What does it mean for a Christian to operate then on the internet? Does it really look like Facebook arguments or something like that? Or does it mean that we need to begin to develop a movement forward where we simply exist in that area? And we're already doing that. Uh, there are ways that that can be done. But, but you begin to see that, that that causes a disturbance in the natural flow of the world. As, as Paul has shared the gospel, as Paul's partners have shared the gospel, these people are beginning to uh, not shadow the doors of, uh, of these silversmiths, of, of these other people who are gaining all their riches off of idolatry. And it's really frustrating them and disturbing them. But we need to go further because... Not only does this disturbance begin to bear out, people begin, begin to get uncomfortable. And surely y'all feel this, right? Uh, we're in a Bible-believing congregation. Why don't you say that to somebody if you're confused about the reality of disturbance, right? I've made the joke before about the barber shop. You know, you used to be able to go into the barber shop and say, I'm a pastor. They give you 10% off or a free cut or something. Now I wait till the end to tell them I'm a pastor so they don't buzz the back of my head. Give me a bald spot, right? I mean, sure, y'all remember this if you've been with me any time now. It's, it's different now. Say it at work and see what happens. For some of you who work in larger places or who are not, uh, who are not in leadership or management, to come out with such things will get you fired immediately. What a world. What a disturbance. But, but this is connected because we continue forward in this narrative of, of what's playing out because as this disturbance begins to rise, we see that, that by existing, Christians defend Christianity. Now remember that the Christians here are, are doing nothing. 
They are not, as it were, the primary characters. All the talkers are those who hate God. And, and what we see here is that Christians defend Christianity with nary a word and not really any action. Because remember, in verses 28 through 34, Christians are defending Christianity in a unique way because a Paul is not allowed to go. Paul would have defended Christianity. I have a word for y'all. Or he would have been stoned or whipped, right? He, he was stoned and whipped in other places. And he escaped out of it, right? He, he survived by the Holy Spirit's uh, a protection over him with the stonings and things like that. He would have been arrested perhaps and uh, given a chance he would have testified to those as he was arrested as, as a, a half martyr, right? Perhaps not killed. But if he was killed, he would have gone down as Stephen did before him, right? Sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus. And if we remember our church fathers, we know that, that by the blood of the martyrs did the gospel of the Lord Jesus spread throughout the world. So Paul was ready to go. And his disciples stopped him. Perhaps they had to hold him. Paul probably was pretty weak if we read from him and kind of take uh, different Christian histories. And so it wouldn't have been hard to prevent him, but they stopped him, right? Uh, not only that, uh, remember what I said before, even those that were there, the ones who were drug in, right? Those that were with Paul. The Jew that just happened to be there, Alexander, he's thinking, uh-oh, I guess I'm going to have to try to settle this thing down. Nobody, nobody gets to speak. But how then is, is there a defense that is mounted? There's a disturbance for sure. Where is the defense? Well, the defense actually comes in the weathering of the storm. By existing, Christians defend Christianity. The city, verse 29, was filled with the confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. Paul tried to go in, verse 30, they stopped him. The Asiarchs told him, don't go. Verse 32, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And here's the part that starts to show us what's going on. Most of them did not know why they had come together. What is the world about? What does the world do on any given day other than try to make money? Demetrius knows what he's doing. Demetrius' partners know what they're doing. They're trying to make money. What are the people in Ephesus trying to do? They have no idea. They literally don't know. But the riot has seized them. The confusion has entered into their very souls, as it were. And as animals, almost, they go about screaming. A defense for Artemis? No. No defense. What do they say? Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So all they scream for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You say something long enough and it sounds like something different. I would imagine that if you sat there in that cacophony for that long, that 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 would be the feeling that, that takes over you is that you think, I know what they're saying, but I can't even hear it anymore because it's all blending together and the cadence has gotten off. I know y'all know what that is. You know, you have somebody repeating something and then you, you can't hear it anymore. And so in the midst of that then, silent Christians stand and it is as if God is laughing. 
at the confusion of the world. What does it mean to defend Christianity as a Christian today? One way is to not be crazy. I know it, sound, it sounds crazy when I say that. I know. I know what it sounds like. But the absurdity of the world is all around us. I know that it's offensive to say something like this. But the confusion around gender and biology, I know that's a hot topic issue. Why is that confusing? It's absurdity. I had a professor in college at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville who told the class that I was sitting in that the wall in the class didn't exist. Therefore, it didn't exist. And I raised my hand and said, I'm confused. Could you say that again? And with a laugh, he said, you're confused by that? And I said, yes. He said, I'm telling you, that wall doesn't exist. Therefore, young man, that wall doesn't exist. And I said, I'm still confused. Are you telling me that you could run through the wall? He said, no, that's not what I said. I said the wall doesn't exist. Therefore, it doesn't exist. He kept on like that, and we never reached a conclusion. But that's the reality of the world, is the absurdity that we find ourselves in. That's not rare. That's common. That's not college campuses. That's businesses. That's not just businesses. That's churches who have strayed from the word of God and gone their own way. That's reality. And so what does it mean then to defend Christianity? It means exist. Aristarchus, Gaius, Alexander, Paul, the partners in ministry and the followers of the way near, merely needed to stand and exist for disturbance to arise and for defense to be mounted against an offense and offense, if you wanted to say it like that, football, right? We got the playoffs coming. Everybody loves offense unless it's terrible, right? If you want a high-powered offense and you throw 14 picks in the first half, I'm betting you're going to lose, right? And that's what we have right here, is a high-powered offense with no skill whatsoever. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You yell it till you're blue in the face, and it does nothing. Uh, if you really wanted another illustration of this before we move to point three, uh, think about Elijah. Elijah on top of Mount Carmel, and uh, he said, hey, let's have a challenge. Y'all, uh, see if you can get rain to come down. Uh, likewise, I too will see if I can get rain to come down. And if you know that story, this might be familiar. If you're not familiar, check it out. Uh, you'll see that. All you got to do is type in Elijah Mount Carmel, and it'll pop right up. And, 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 and what you'll find there is that these prophets of Baal uh, were dancing around, cutting themselves, doing everything under the sun, desperate to see if rain might come. But it was a high-powered offense with no skill. And Elijah simply prayed unto the Lord. He existed. He did nothing but ask the Lord to bring rain. Or rather fire, excuse me. And fire came. He was trying to get fire to come. 
an incredible reality that, that by existing, uh, Christians can defend Christianity. It's, it's not something that, that we have to learn or grow into. It's not something that we need to take a class for. It's not something that you have to be a pastor for. It's something that the Lord grants you. And, and as you exist, all of a sudden around you, uh, uh, your defense begins to mount by who you are and by what you do, by your emphases as the Holy Spirit changes you. And as that happens and you move forward, it's not only a defense, but then it becomes a great offense. Sometimes it's offensive to the world. Other times it's very powerful. It's, it's a great offense for the world. As people come to faith, as you live your natural life, as your neighbors come to church, for instance, as your coworkers come to church, as you begin to see a family coalesce around you in the place that you are, and then you move in that. How did you come to Centennial in the first place? I'd be curious to know. I bet you it's all very similar. Well, I knew somebody who invited me. Not very many people said, oh, thankfully I saw our, your sign. I can tell you put a lot of effort into your sign. And because of that, I decided to give you a chance, right? Or something like that. It's because, it's because a, a connection was made. There was a connection that, that then blossomed by the Holy Spirit to create and coalesce in us a family of God that then continues to grow on itself and move forward throughout the years. But point number three, as we continue forward in verses 35 through 41, there's not only this disturbance that arises by the existence of Christians, there's not only a defense that happens by us simply existing and watching the absurdity of the world, there is then a defeat of the world. Verses 35 through 41, remember no Christians are speaking at all. Who is doing the speaking? In verse 35 we see it's a town clerk. And what does he do? Why are y'all being so crazy? That's what he says. You're rioting. What have you done? What are you doing to our reputation? If you truly believe that Artemis, that is Diana, is a deity and is known throughout the world, do you really think these measly followers of the way, who have no power, who have no prestige, who have no money, could really take down a deity? And even if they were, we have a court system that will take care of it. Why don't you go as citizens of this empire and maneuver as the law would stipulate? like these followers of the way have been doing this whole time. Did you notice the defense? They've done nothing to break our laws. I can't even charge them with anything. I can't even accuse them of anything here. They're innocent. And so who's guilty? The world. And who condemned them? The world. Dog eat dog. And yet, once again, the Christian, if we see here the follower of the way, capital W, is standing on the way and beholding God's providence and work on his behalf. Because what do you think Alexander was going to say to sway the crowd? By the Holy Spirit, perhaps he could have had the words. But what would he have done to that riotous crowd? But the town clerk took care of it. 
and shamed the world in the process. Shamed himself. In fact, you can almost read it pouring off of the page. His own shame for the reality that it's not these followers of the way, but it's probably his supporters, right? If we think about politics, not a lot has changed. You've got his own people and he's thinking, man, what are you doing? we got to save some face here and get gone before we start seeing some arrests because I'm not going to be able to help you out of this one. And so, after really realizing the riot that is taking place, he dismisses and they disperse. The assembly goes away. What have they achieved? They drug in some individuals who are followers of the Lord Jesus they yelled for two hours and are hoarse now. And I can't help but wonder if perhaps in doing so, perhaps in causing such severe disturbance to the normalcy of the flow of the day, perhaps in, in mounting such a shoddy offense against those who had said nothing in a place, by the way, that was known for back and forth dialogue. They were in a place where you did that. And they shamed themselves. In a moment where all of that happened, and then the town clerk, as it were, uh, uh, gave a demerit to, right? He rebuked these people, these Diana followers, these Artemis silversmiths, and the people who were with them, these confused people, and said, get out of here. I can't help but wonder if some in the crowd who were confused, who had no idea what was going on, and who at the end, hearing the town clerk realized exactly what was happening, began to question what this way was. Perhaps they found themselves, not too many years after, sitting under the tutelage of Paul in that very same place as he went back and forth with sharing and opening up the word of God. If, if perhaps they found Alexander and said, what were you going to say? If perhaps they found Aristarchus and Gaius and said, what are y'all about? If perhaps they finally found this guy, Paul, who seemed to be doing such damage to the very thing that was putting a hand, a tax on them. Because these people who were confused weren't making money. The silversmiths were making money. The business owners were making money. The people who were working were making no money. And then giving it all to a false god, giving them nothing. And maybe they heard a different way. The way. Christians are to be encouraged in their existence. Two ways that you can apply this as we close and prepare to take from the Lord's table. Pursue knowledge and righteousness for the sake of God. Do not be worried about your knowledge of God when it comes to your neighbor, your unbelieving friend, uh, your pastor, or your elder. It is good to know the gospel and to speak of the gospel and to be able to have the language of the word. But even as we heard in our previous series, that is not, that is not how we are to be encouraged and 
saved is, is by, our, by our knowledge and our righteousness. That actually goes against that which we proclaim on a week-to-week -week basis, which is that we find these things culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work on our behalf. That's why, if I might be so bold to say that Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41 is in there, it's because it's a perfect illustration that the Lord is the one who is maneuvering and working because the Christians did nothing. They stood there and got dragged a little bit. I feel like that sometimes and maybe as Christians you do too. And God says be encouraged because I'm working and I'll show you my work. This is closely connected with a second application. As, as you're thinking about uh, your desire that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit to pursue righteousness, to pursue knowledge, that, that is that you might worship God all the more, that you might know who your God is. And secondly then, connected to that, is that we must be ones as Christians, as professors of the Lord Jesus Christ, as professors that the Lord Jesus, that God himself is the one doing all the work of salvation, that the Holy Spirit gives us a gift, and that because of that gift, we are uh, uh, able to say, yes, Lord, I believe. We must avoid the hyper-discouraging works righteousness cycle. Martin Luther, a uh, great reformer of the faith, found the word again, found Ephesians again. Uh, Martin Luther uh, was known to have said something in his monk days. He said, if, if anyone in the entire world could have been saved by their works, it would have been me. He tried. For years and years, his works were far greater than yours. I guarantee it when you read it. His righteousness, his piety, his devotion to God. It was all-consuming every single moment of every day. And it's documented in the monastery. And at the end of it all, he came to the conclusion that it was not enough. And that there was only one place for him. And it was not heaven. His works righteousness could never get him there. And it was merely a cycle of shame and frustration and action over and over and over. And God wants to bust us out of that because it's not how it works. He busts us out of the reality that we can do anything for our salvation. He busts us out of the reality that, that we are the ones who save. He busts us out of the reality that if we get just a little bit more righteous, if we as a church do a little bit more programming, if we as a church uh, get somebody who talks super loud, or if we get somebody who talks super quiet, or if we get somebody who can dance well, or if we get XYZ in the parking lot, maybe it's a new sign, maybe it's a tent, maybe it's a maybe it's a maybe it's a nothing by existing we must be encouraged we have been preserved for 125 plus years our denomination for many many more years longer we can trace our heritage all the way back to the apostolic succession of the church where we see the Lord Jesus lay hands and then the apostles lay hands and those hands have been laid all the way for those some thousands of years to this very moment if we wanted to we could then trace it all the way back to the Old Testament time to the elders of that church all the way back to the garden for real not as a joke. That's what it means to exist as God's people. Is that you are a part of a lineage and a heritage that dawns all the way back. And it will go all the way forward. 
and that we find ourselves existing by the grace of God in this moment with new desire and with a desire to have new emphases. And in that, there will be disturbance. Guaranteed. And if there's not disturbance, you might want to question yourself as to why the world is liking you so much. There will be defense, but it won't be because you have eloquent speech. I never have eloquent speech when somebody hits me with a, with a curveball on a Wednesday afternoon uh, when I just got out of lunch and they say, hey, what about this? But I do have God's word and I do have humility and I can see the Holy Spirit work even then. And I know you can too. And in that moment, we can see the victory of God and the defeat of the world, not by our own hands, but by the hands of God who is working on our behalf. And in that, we are encouraged. That's Ephesians. Encouragement. Ephesians and you. This has been a most riotous prelude. Maybe the riots will continue. I don't know. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that, uh, that, that we exist. You're the one who, who does that, who gives us that. Get us away from, from looking away from you and, and pull us towards you that we might always gaze upon the reality of what it is that you're doing in our lives. That you are the one who is going about a work for us and for our families and for our church, and for our works and our friends. And yes, it's, it's through us sometimes, but it's always by you. So now God... As we close this piece of your word, and as we come to your word made visible, God, would you bless us? In Jesus' name, amen.